From the University of California, Irvine, this is the UCI Podcast. I'm Brian Bell. The coronavirus outbreak has caused a massive transformation in how we live our daily lives. It's also had a huge impact on the UCI campus, with students and teachers joining their classes remotely online, research projects put on hold, and scientists and engineers quickly adapting their efforts to aid in the pandemic response. Staff have also been telecommuting in unprecedented numbers. The effect on UCI health has been no less dramatic. The organization is on the very front line in dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, and its entire staff, from doctors and nurses to maintenance personnel, has been working around the clock to enhance readiness. Today on the UCI podcast, we're meeting with two key members of the UCI health staff to learn about what they and others are doing to tackle the coronavirus challenge. Our conversation is up next. Okay, today's podcast interview is happening via Zoom since we're all social distancing. Today we're having a conversation with Linda Dickey, who is Senior Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention at UCI Health, and Joe Brothman, Director for Environmental Health and Safety and Emergency Management, also at UCI Health. Hello. Hello. Linda, let's start with you. Um, Maybe you could tell me a little bit more specifics about your role at UCI Health uh, during this coronavirus crisis? The Infection Prevention Program has um, several roles. We uh, are central to watching the guidance that's coming out from a federal, state, and local level and translating that into operational processes that we can follow for um, safety and infection prevention. We report cases of COVID um, that occur from uh, our patients to public health um, that contributes to the epidemiologic picture for our county and our state. Um, And we um, do a lot of hands-on training and involvement with our healthcare workers to keep them safe. Joe Brothman, why don't you tell me a little bit about your role at UCI Health and, and what you have done thus far to help prepare the facility for this coronavirus crisis. In my role as director of safety and emergency management, we really um, own the organization's emergency response plan, including the surge in the pandemic response plans. Uh, Last year, uh, early in 2019, we completed updates to our existing pandemic response plans to account for the emerging diseases and viruses that we're, we're seeing now. And I've seen, you know, the last year or two, like MERS and SARS, in addition to Ebola and the novel coronavirus, well, now we're seeing the novel coronaviruses, um, because these processes are all uniform for the response efforts. And we specifically started preparing for the COVID patients um, in January or February, because um, we anticipated activation of our hospital's emergency response plan shortly or, or soon. Could you tell me some more specifics about what's, what exact steps the UCI Health took to prepare for potential COVID-19 patients? Well, I'll start, and I know Joe's got a lot that he um, certainly can add, but we um, very initially, when we started seeing the alerts coming from China, 
we provided that information to our, um, our leadership and the key leaders across the organization just to be an early heads up. We very quickly recognized that our personal protective equipment, masks in particular, and eye protection could be a challenge. And so we very uh, early on started asking for protection of those stockpiles and um, working with our supply chain partners reached out to try to stockpile and get additional supplies as quickly as we could. We also, at least in the infection prevention department, started working very closely with our state and local health partners in public health to keep abreast of of what they were seeing and hearing in terms of recommendations from the CDC and and elsewhere. I'm sure you have seen the news of other states, other uh, regions of the United States Uh, really bearing a a heavy brunt from this uh, coronavirus infection, New York specifically, now New Orleans, Washington, uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, How does it feel sort of looking at it from the perspective of California, Southern California, Orange County, where we don't seem to have quite as many thousands of people infected by this disease? Do you feel it's given you a little more time to prepare? You know, we're we're fortunate, I'll put it that way, but we know what has to be done, um, which is prepare for a potential influx of infectious patients. Just because we don't have it today doesn't mean that it's not our obligation to prepare for that. And we are preparing for a capacity to be stretched and really our resources to not meet the demand of traditional care that we're used to. What we've done so far, we've converted non-traditional locations for surge capacity. That's redeploying areas that are non-traditional care areas for patient care, setting up tents to add in our surge capacity. We've educated staff what needs to be done to protect them and how they can protect themselves. We monitor, secure, and continue to secure uh, critical supplies, including PPE, like Linda just mentioned, and patient care equipment, other things like ventilators, ventilator supplies. We're assessing our means to care for a mass influx of patients who aren't normally cared for in these areas. And we're working very closely with our UC health partners, our local partners, our traditional vendors, the state, federal, and we're fortunate to be part of the UC system, especially next to UCI, because we have access to things that um, no other partner in in the hospital area, uh, the local area anyway, has access to. So um, yeah, we're extremely fortunate. That, that brings to mind uh, uh, something I heard about recently on a, 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 an EOC call, an emergency operations center call, about um, a call that they received from you requesting help in synthesizing uh, viral transport media, which is a liquid they use uh, in, in these uh, coronavirus test kits. Tell, tell us a little bit about that project, how that project got started. Yeah, we, we sent that request, I think, about a week ago. Very quickly, the campus responded to help us synthesize this needed um, asset that is under a nationwide and really worldwide shortage. Viral transport media is what uh, the swabs that are used to test patients for the coronavirus, it's what it's transported to from from your nose, so to speak, to the lab, it needs to have a sterile environment to transport in or else you're gonna lose that sample's viability. So procuring that has been extremely difficult along with the swabs, which also campus is helping us both procure and or 3D print. 
because they have that amazing ability uh, working through the Beale Innovations Institute and uh, through the research labs directly through the uh, emergency operations center that campus is set up gives us access to all those things. So we had a researcher highlight that the CDC made available instructions on how to synthesize this. You know, that got sent up to our clinical laboratory who reached up through the command center. We reached out to our campus counterparts, my counterpart specifically, John Sterrett. Uh, he's the director of environmental health and safety at campus. And he championed that up the chain and, and really made it happen quickly. So uh, this Friday, we should be receiving uh, enough viral transport media for 750 tests. And so uh, UCI uh, Health has been conducting a lot of tests? Uh, we've been uh, doing as many as we possibly can. It's a little bit like whack-a-mole for the lab because they, they might have test kits, but then we are challenged with swabs or they might have swabs, but then they're challenged with the transport media. And it has been a consistent challenge to have the appropriate reagents. So I think that our clinicians and our lab have been maximizing our capability and moving as quickly as possible to validate and bring on testing platforms. Uh, and now we have a variety of platforms, but the actual necessary ingredients, if you will, as what Joe is describing, have been a challenge across the country. Are there any other examples that you can think of of collaboration between UCI Health and campus faculty and staff in, uh, in order to address the coronavirus situation? Oh, absolutely. Our Beale Applied Innovation Center has been uh, outstanding in trying to meet our PPE challenges. Um, two examples. The first is they have had um, designed face shields. We normally use uh, face shields that are single patient use disposed of after one use. We're now in a position where we're cleaning those with uh, alcohol wipes and reusing them uh, multiple times. So in order to uh, augment our supply chain, the campus, uh, the Innovation Center designed a face shield for us uh, very quickly. We went through a few iterations of the prototype and then we were provided uh, a sample size to bring in, you know, last weekend, gathered some data around that, and then they've moved forward with production of, of more face shields for us. So just an example of how they are very, uh, they're very nimble and extremely bright group and um, created something for us that we can um, utilize right away. And then also we, um, in addition to the N95 respirators that um, are so, um, prevalent in the news these days in terms of discussion. Uh, we also use a device called a powered air purifying respirator or PAPR and the consumable um, items around that we're having trouble obtaining, meaning there's, there's like a face shield that you wear with the PAPR and some other um, associated parts. And again, the Applied Innovation Center has stepped up and have created, uh, developed these consumable parts that will um, allow us to continue to use our PAPRs more readily, which is, is very helpful. The, the PAPRs used for long procedures, sometimes our um, anesthesiologists or our surgeons are having to do procedures around the airway um, that are prolonged. And so it's a much more comfortable device to wear in those situations or someone that might not be able to be readily fit tested for an N95 can use a pamper. 
That's great. Uh, um, Joe, I wanted to ask you about uh, these surge tents and the drive-through center at UCI Health. Could you talk a little bit about how that was all established? Uh, the hospitals over the years secured equipment and resources for these types of, we call them, you know, low probability, high risk events or low likelihood, high, high risk events. So um, over the course of the years in response to, for instance, the Ebola crisis, we secured a negative pressure isolation tent that would supplement our internal capacity in, in a safe way. Um, one feature of the tent that we have is it provides the environment inside a negative pressure like uh, environment. So it's very safe for our caregivers. It provides the same type of air exchange rate as an OR or a intensive care unit inside the hospital. That's a very specialty piece of equipment that, you know, with our leadership support, knowing that these types of things are, are eventually bound to happen, even though there are a low probability, they're high risk enough and high impact enough that we need to be prepared for them. Um, so specifically at these locations, like our, our tents that we've deployed on site at the medical center, they are that type of tent, they're negative pressure. They have a controlled environment. They're very robust. They're not like a camping tent, so to speak. They're more, I call them a shelter where, uh, you know, you actually have a controlled environment like a hospital. They're very robust. They can take all this weather that we've had the past few days. We've been calling this the proving time and they've done great. Um, so, you know, with our leadership supporting us, saying that these things are bound to happen and we need this critical infrastructure to respond for our, our citizens, they've, they've supported the operations to make that happen. At the drive-through locations, we're utilizing a different type of shelter to provide uh, basic coverage for our staff to get uh, you know, in-car testing done with those swabs for patients as they come through. It's a safer way for both patients and our staff to conduct the testing. Um, you know, everyone's staying in their car, they're segregated so that our staff aren't at as much risk as if they were to get out, come into an office, uh, linger, and then take a test. So it's a very efficient way to, to get it done. And it's been publicized nationally as it's probably the best way. So we jumped on it really quickly. We have two established testing locations, one in Orange and one in Irvine. I've already seen hundreds of patients and they continue to be operational. Uh, at each site, we have staff who uh, have a, a wireless network set up that we've set up through a, a small command vehicle or a command setup. And then that allows them to roam out to the cars, conduct their tests remotely, and then safely transport it back without having the patient inconvenience to even get out of their car. You touched on something that kind of leads to another question uh, for Linda. Uh, what are we doing or what is UCI Health doing to support frontline caregivers at the facility? So, you know, it's it's a challenging time for them. Um, there um, are a lot of emotions around COVID-19 and um, we are trying as best as we can to address these um, issues. The guidance around personal protective equipment has been evolving. Some of it we've seen even in the community around the initial CDC guidance that uh, masking of non-healthcare workers was, was not indicated. Um, and now we've uh, moved to um, a completely different strategy in our communities. 
of recommendations around community uh, masking in the community. And we've seen that same sort of evolution within uh, healthcare. So we are looking at all of our different processes and trying to be nimble and uh, address the questions that come up. A lot of our providers have asked about uh, recommendations for practices that aren't necessarily from CDC guidance. And we vet those and we think about those and try to implement those as, as um, best we can around the science that we know of the transmission. So there, there's a lot of discussion that's going on about how the disease is actually transmitted through you know, actual droplets that get on your eyes, nose, or mouth, the range of those droplets, you know, what is truly protective. Uh, in infection prevention, we're spending a lot of time focused on the cleaning of the environment and trying to get people to really focus on their hand behavior because that's how we can inoculate ourselves is through our hands touching our eyes, nose, or mouth. Even with someone wearing a mask and fidgeting with it, if you will, or you know, wearing it under their chin and then putting it back on and not realizing that their hands might be contaminated. Those kinds of small behaviors, we're trying to put uh, observer processes in place so we can provide feedback in the moment of, you know, be careful, re realize this is what you're doing. So we're trying to bring the, the best practices forward. We're trying to partner in the moment to help people learn of, of things that they might not in inadvertently even realize they're doing. Um, we're rounding um, out there to just see what the environment looks like. Uh, we're, we're partnered with the pharmacy, with the lab, with environmental services uh, slash housekeeping uh, facilities. Um, you know, infection prevention is, in, is embedded across all of the operation to try to keep the healthcare workers and our patients safe. Do you expect to see a surge in COVID patients coming up? I plan to see that. I don't know if it'll happen, but that's what we have to plan for. I do expect for, for a surge, and, and I, I think it can only go up before, you know, it starts coming down. I don't know how big of a surge it'll be. We've seen in the past that with other coronaviruses that they can be quite seasonal, similar to flu. So up in the spring, then down in the summer, then up in the fall. And so we're expecting, although as Joe says, we don't know for sure, but we're, we're thinking this one might behave exactly the same way. And there's, there's so much discussion around flattening the curve, you know, trying to decrease the number of cases so that we don't see uh, this surge come into the healthcare system and cause a, um, a situation where we're not able to provide the level of care that we should be able to provide. That's why there's so much effort around social distancing and, and flattening that curve. All of our efforts, is, as Joe says, are around anticipating that surge and meeting that need for our, our community. Could you tell me about any sort of small acts of, of heroism or, or really like kind of exceptional behavior on the part of the staff, the um, medical staff, nurses, orderlies, uh, facilities uh, maintainers at UCI Health? Just a couple that come to mind, our, our medical surgical unit that was first designated as a, a COVID cohort unit is called Three Tower. You know, the nurses there uh, were the first of the inpatient areas, med medical surgical areas, um, as well as our medical ICU to step up and serve as the cohort unit. Uh, they had a lot of questions. They 
were great partners to, to ask their questions and then step up and say, you know, we will care for these, these individuals as we need to. We saw the same thing in our ED and in our medical ICU. Um, again, the staff, the physicians, all of them have questions, but they are dedicated to our patients um, and to the Orange County community. And they're, they're providing uh, fantastic care, our respiratory therapists as well. We've got uh, amazing uh, people here at UCI uh, providing health healthcare. You know, as we delegate items out, it's just amazing how quick people are to jump to the occasion to help out. Everyone from our EVS team, you know, stepping up to do non-traditional tasks to our facilities team setting up these structures that some sometimes could take a day. They get in at four in the morning, and before we even get in, sometimes they're already up. Um, you, you know, especially our, our caregivers, as Linda touched on, you know, they're, they're truly the front line. We, we support them, but they're the people who are, who are doing this and, you know, the whole organization, our leadership too, um, you know, they recognize this event early. We started responding early February, but we were monitoring it and providing updates from January. And they knew that eventually we were going to have to have to kick into high gear and do what was right for the for the organization and, and the county um, by making some hard decisions but they they rose to the occasion and we're really lucky that you know we have that leadership to provide the support for the staff and for the community because we're better off for it and if i could just uh, mention one specific example um uh, Dr. Cooperman, who is our um, chair of ophthalmology and practices down at the Gavin Herbert Eye Institute. You know, when you do an eye exam, you're, you're very close to patients. And he has shown such leadership in, in his group to look at the, the transmission of this, to be thoughtful about how to uh, best protect the providers and the patients during their care. And he himself falls into a higher risk uh, age category, and yet he's still there, uh, very close, uh, you know, physically close with his patients, um, still providing that care. Um, And he could potentially be putting himself at risk without the appropriate precautions. But I think he's just one example of, uh, you know, our leaders that we have and everyone all the way down to our, our, our housekeepers are showing such leadership by putting on their personal protective equipment and doing their job to provide care for people. We're not seeing the surge, you know, in numbers that we're preparing for yet, but some of our sister facilities are namely up North like San Francisco. And a few weeks ago, they were at a critical supply shortage and Greg, I our director of facilities. He, without hesitation, jumped into the truck, and he took 50,000 masks up that we had in our emergency stockpile and transferred that up to UCSF when they really needed them. And, and that's the kind of, as Linda mentioned, the kind of leadership that we have and the people that our team is working with, they, they really decide to jump into the fire and just try to help out. So we're really fortunate here. Linda, can you t- give any advice for our folks who are, uh, social distancing themselves at home and uh, should they continue to do that? And what other, what other sort of uh, daily practices can they do to help keep themselves safe? Yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely working. The, I, I know that none of us like the social distancing, but it is effective. 
and um, the effect of that is to protect those who are who are most vulnerable. Most of us will, uh, if we get COVID-19, will experience it as a cold or maybe an influenza-like illness. But um, as we know, we've got people in our lives that are very young or older or have underlying medical conditions that could put them at risk for much more severe uh, illness. So our social distancing practices are, are, um, are helping those individuals as much as it might help us weather more mild disease. Um, certainly, you know, cleaning our hands is, is paramount. And um, my license plate actually says, wash your hands. So I'm <laughs> really um, a big believer. It, it, it is the fundamental thing that will help prevent um, COVID-19 as well as, you know, keeping that six foot distance when you're generally out in public because, you know, droplets uh, can fall out once they are sneezed or coughed out. Um, and yes, there might be some, some small aerosolization of some small droplets, but for the most part, we're seeing that that six foot distance really is effective and keeping our hands off of our eyes, nose or mouth, and then cleaning surfaces as, as frequently as we can think of it. Um, surfaces that we touch often like our phones and, and other um, items that might get touched by other individuals as well. Well, I want to thank both of you for joining me on the UCI podcast today and uh, giving us some, some of the details about what's going on at UCI Health to confront uh, coronavirus. Uh, we've been speaking with Linda Dickey, who is Senior Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention at UCI Health and the self-titled hand-washing queen. She's got it on her license plate. And uh, Joe Brothman, Director for Environmental Health and Safety and Emergency Management at UCI Health. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. You can see the latest coronavirus updates as they pertain to UCI and UCI Health at uci.edu slash coronavirus. The site offers up-to-the-minute news, frequently asked questions of interest to UCI's various communities, and tips on keeping yourself safe and healthy. The UCI Podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. I'm Brian Bell. Thank you for listening.